She offers her a finger sandwich. Not made out of real fingers. It's made out of white bread and rye or ham or something. Yeah, but you said finger sandwiches. I was like, she's Dracula's daughter. They might be real fingers. Just check, make sure. Check and make sure that there's no meat in it or that it's gluten. No fingernails. You could say it's gluten-free. Ask if it's gluten-free sandwiches. (laughs) Thank you. I was about to say that. (laughs) Gluten-free sandwiches. Fingers aren't gluten-free. Uh, don't no, try aren't. that out, or else that's called cannibalism, which is illegal yeah. in some countries. Frowned upon, yeah, frowned upon, modern society. Frowned upon in society, to quote uh, Willy Walker. Yeah, uh, this has been great. But it is high. In, it is high in protein, though. Fingers are in high high in protein, and they're high but in we... keratin. <laughs> Cinematic fantastic. Batu, Barada, Nikto. I'll show you who I am and what I am. Beaten by a werewolf and lives, becomes a werewolf himself. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! Hello and welcome to the Cinematic Fantastic Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Weatherford. And your other host, William Weatherford. Get ready for opinions, dad jokes... And bad jokes. As we watch and review sci-fi and fantasy films from the classics of yesteryear to the new favorites of today. Welcome back, listeners, to the sixth episode of Season 2, Cinematic Fantastic. Uh, We're glad to have you today. Uh, Yeah, it's Episode 26, it should be. And um, last episode, we covered uh, Things to Come, 1936, which... To let my past self take it away. There is. This was epic. This was epic. This was. For an this hour has got to be one half. of my favorite movies for so far. Indeed, it was the best movie so far. Although I do agree that Robin Hood is going to be a big movie for this season, and we're doing that next. So you're you're already you're already preparing yourself to really like Robin Hood. I mean, that's cool. But go, go into it blind and just go. I wonder what this movie is, and then let it just be what it is. By the way, it's a little echoey in here because uh, I've switched a little bit of setups because crazy things are going on around us. Uh, but what isn't crazy and going around us is uh, the movie we're doing, which is the same year. It's a Dracula's Daughter, the sequel that no one asked for. Well, <laughs> it's the sequel to 1931's Dracula with Bela Lugosi, uh, of course, a universal movie, universal picture. Five years after the original Dracula, and this happens a lot with movies, is is they'll uh, during that time is they'll come up with a sequel and they'll say, "Oh, it happens." You know, mere minutes after the other one ends. And this, it actually is true with this. So, what I can tell you is, yeah, nobody asked for this, but they, you know, I honestly think that based on what you had said the last time about uh, where Universal was headed during our episode about the Invisible Ray, you had talked about how Universal was kind of, they're, they're treading water a little bit. Uh, I, I think this was the later, the later days of the Lemleys. This was the year that they would be kicked out of their studio. Yes, and I think that they were kind of going, yeah, uh, um, 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 remember, um, uh, Frankenstein? We got Bride of Frankenstein. Um, do you remember, uh, Dracula? We did Dracula. Uh, let's, let's, so they're, they're, they're scrambling to do that. So, first off, uh, the thing that is related to this movie and, and Invisible Ray is they're both directed by Lambert Hillier. He released these the same year. So either he was directing these movies back to back, and he just 
popped him out. I don't know. They are probably going to get James Whale again, but then went like, well, no, we can't get him. Might as well get this dude. Yeah, they wanted to get James Whale because, hey, James Whale knows the material. Uh, He can take what some might call a lackluster, you know, idea. And due to his relationships with all involved, uh, of course, I think that, that they were going for James Whale when they could get some other actors, maybe from the Universal uh, a, a pantheon like I don't know were they trying to get any of the, uh, the other actors they tried to get Bela Lugosi but he would have only showed it for like half a minute in this because as we know he died in the original Dr- Dracula 1931 and he does not and as we'll talk about later he doesn't really show up except for a like a wax dummy figure uh, they, did, they did a cast of his face, and he did get some money. I don't know if it was like $2,000 or whatever, but if somebody wants to make a body cast of me and put me in a you know Dracula costume and then put me in a coffin to immediately catch on fire and be burned and burst into flames, pay me money. Now, here is the situation with this film. Uh, by the end of the first film, you know, the best character, the commanding presence, the lead... Is already gone. He's already dead in the first film. And that's a difficult predicament for most movies to handle. Either you manage to keep, you know, well off without the, the main villain or the main protagonist being dead. Uh, can you think of some instances of that? I wouldn't be able no, to think so. No, I can't. There's quite a bit where they can handle it well. Or you can't handle the pressure of not having that villain. For instance, like, uh, let's say... Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. Yes. Spoilers, press the right button immediately. Somehow Palpatine returns. Palpatine just has to return because they killed off Palpatine and Darth Vader at the end of Return of the Jedi. And it's just like they had to bring him back because they couldn't deal well without. That's the thing. They had like Kylo Ren to replace him, but he like became good. So they were just like, we have to bring back Palpatine, which is like literally the it's like it it doesn't fit at all like there's no possibility of it ever happening i don't know how they can keep it going without bella lugosi as part of it it's not a it's not a prequel it's not a prequel it's not an interquel it's not either one of those things but instead of having bella lugosi because well they probably obviously couldn't get him for such small a picture probably and also he's dead um we have dracula's daughter who is the uh the villain for this however she is not she she's not a good villain at all no she she's she's threatening to an extent she okay here's the thing to sum up sort of my review of this thing this movie has literally like no stakes there is no tension really it's just it, this movie really is to be meh right. if you could put it into meh, meh the movie because the the villain here all she does, she kills, like, one guy. And then uh, there was a girl who, like, she threatens over throughout the movie, but she ends up alive through that. But that's, like, that's two people. Belagosi, however, is a threat to more people. Even Nosferatu. Nosferatu. You can see, like, all those coffins, like, going down the street, people carrying the coffins. Like, the, you, you can see that he's a massive threat to... um. Wiesborg or whatever yes, Nosferatu yes. was set. So, so, so you're you're threatened by that character. Do you you don't feel threatened by uh, Countess Maria Zaleska, Dracula's daughter? You don't feel that threat? 
Yeah, in fact, however, they try and make her more of, she's sort of like, oh, I want to turn away from my ways, in fact. And that's her whole, whole shtick is that she doesn't want to kill really at all. She's almost like a drug addict or somebody with a mental issue. But it's not like that goes anywhere because she doesn't really fight it at all throughout the movie. And I'm like, you could seriously fight any of this, just any of this, and you choose not to. She doesn't even put up a physical fight. She doesn't need, it's not even dramatic. A lot of it is pushed by another character, uh, Sandor, played by uh, Irving Pischel. The, I, I, call, I call him the Fritz, the Carl, the Renfield. That a vampire always has to have. He's not as captivating as watching Dwight Fry just chew the scenery as Renfield. He's very subdued. Yeah, yeah. Dwight Fry is really great. But like I said, Sandor, he's very serious. That's fine. I don't expect that. But literally, at the beginning... We have, like, Dracula's daughter's, like, playing piano, and she's like, oh, I'm gonna be happy again and normal and stuff because, you know, my father's dead now. So, but then he's like, oh, that's not happy music you're playing. And then I was just like, well, no, all you could reply to that is just like, you're not playing happy music right now. Okay, I'll play some happier music then. La-di-da-di-da. Because it's like, you could switch what you're playing, so it's like... So you're saying that okay. she she honestly could just say no fight. Yeah, you know, screw you, Sandor. I'm I'm gonna. She doesn't even go like you're wrong. I can play happy music when I want. Right? To. You, th- you think she's very easily uh she's very easily led by her bloodlust. Uh, even though she says she doesn't want to do it anymore, it doesn't even it doesn't even qualify as a character trait. It does not even qualify as a character trait. Oh, well, I really. do. I do like the fact that that they are trying to make her, you know, you know, an understandable antagonist. You know, like like there's there's some elements in there that you can relate to. But the thing is, because this movie doesn't really have any stakes, because it has no stakes. Well, maybe it has one right, the uh, in, the in the heart of Dracula. Dracula. <laughs> but it that means that we don't really care for our characters because we have no stakes. We have no conflict. We have no reason to care for these people. Speaking of caring for people, there's uh, the protagonist who I don't even remember his name because he's very... Jeffrey Garth. Dr. Garth. Jeffrey Garth. But he is very forgettable. He is literally just... I, I can't... He doesn't really, like, do much toward, like... Uh, I mean, he's like a protagonist and he does some things, but he's very vanilla. He's a David Manners except there's no... He's a little bit more than David Manners, I would say. However, in the first Dracula movie, there was, like, David Manners, but there was also Edward Van Sloan uh, as um, Van Helsing uh, in the first movie. He uh, is also reprises this movie. He's the only actor that reprises his role. However, he takes a big backseat, and he's literally, like, he bookends the movie, really. There's a part where he's literally sitting down in a chair a lot. I think he's getting older. The strong actor that you do have now, you are wasting at this point, because he's not being strong and proactive like he was at all. There's an emotional world weariness to him. He seems very, like, like world weary, like he's uh, just, he's under this... Sadness. Yeah, I would have been happy if we had gotten David Manners back for this movie, even. Just David okay, Manners, well, well, even. Yeah, He'd I, probably be a better protagonist. I mean, he has the capability for, like, doing that in something like uh, The Death Kiss. Uh, he was a pretty great protagonist in that. All you had to do was, like, write him in so that he's somewhat better protagonist. Sort of like what we have here, except, like, he's a strong actor. Yeah. But there's literally no 
really strong people. You don't really care what for these people. What can I say people. about Otto Kruger? Except, okay, here's the thing. Otto Kruger had played um, a kind of villain kind of characters you know, early on, earlier in his career. So here he was, a character that you're supposed to feel for. He's actually the grandnephew of South African pioneer and President Paul Kruger. So he's German descent. It was fine. Played villainous roles a couple times in his career. I think people remembered that. And maybe it was harder to to, to really have the audience buy him as a, as a protagonist in this. But not only that, there is some more facts I read here from uh, the notes here is that it's tangentially based on a excised chapter of the original novel called Dracula's Guest, tangentially. And the script that was written by John L. Balderston was rejected because it probably it went too far with like the the tools that she uses for the trade. And then even the script that they had was apparently rushed because they didn't have the rights uh, they had a contract that put the rights in a very, a very deadliney state. They only had a limited amount of time to use the rights that they had before they published the thing because MGM apparently had the rights. So it's like everything that they had, the script and like the just a lot of this film was very, very, very poorly executed. If they were to make it better, but I've talked long enough. Let's let you talk. So. It was a missing chapter uh, called Dracula's Guest, right? Yeah. And it was published in 1914, but there's nothing in this movie to even relate to that short story or to that to that excise chapter. Literally nothing. They just use it for the rights. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah, and that's probably their only way of really making that work, especially with... This um, is a shoestring movie they've made. Shoestring in worth, shoestring in production value. Or production, and I would say it was also shoehorned because, uh, meaning that it was just squeezed in uh, under the wire. And this wouldn't have even made a mark on history, really, if it weren't for some controversies. Ye- yeah, that we, we won't go into that. Right but now. so the guy who was uh, originally tasked with getting the rights to for uh, something ha- having to do with Dracula was David David Oselznik with MGM. Uh, Universal bought the rights to the Stoker material in '34. Uh, and the rights would revert to MGM if Universal didn't do something by October 1935. Uh, uh, later, they extended that date to February 1936. There's a couple times in movie history where people made questionable movie choices just to preserve the rights for things. A guy named Roger Corman, talk about shoestring, he made things on shoestring budgets, and he made a shoestring budget uh, Fantastic Four movie, and uh, it's... It's pretty bad uh, in so many ways, but in some ways it's actually faithful. But in some ways it's really cheesy. It was probably I think there was like something to do with like a recut or something that people are trying to find. No, they well they, this one this one got circulated around uh, comic cons and stuff like that and Gen cons because uh, they were just trying to preserve the rights to it. And there's a lot of different things where people would make a kind of a crappy movie to preserve the rights. Then they would not release it. They would just do it to keep. To keep the rights preserved, it was, like, worth the money to not lose. So they could do a better version later or sell the rights to somebody else. It's kind of a way to kind of, you kind of make the movie, shelve it, or whatever. But they didn't do that with this. They did rush it into production uh, in February 1936 because of the rights uh, going back. And it says partially by the time they got to the date. So just this movie had so much troubles getting in 
to into production and also into our eyeballs. Well, it is just... I don't know. I kind of disagree with you on some elements of it, but I don't think that – see, with a movie that's only like an hour and ten minutes long, you've got to have some really good things to latch on to. And I found only two things – well, three things in this movie to latch on to, okay? Gloria Holden as Countess Maria Zaleska, a.k.a. Uh, Dracula's daughter, she was very – I kind of felt for her. Whether she was like the the greatest, you know, ever or not, uh, is, is really not you know, a greatest actress. This. She did a lot of um, what I call eyebrow acting. You know, she did the whole thing where you know her eyebrows would arch and her eyes would get really big at certain points. The second thing was uh, Edward Van Sloan. I still think he did a, a believable good job. At, at acting his character, but he didn't really. Do, he he really just booked ended the movie. He's not really any part. He doesn't really do much. No, he doesn't. Now, the, the third th- third thing that I would mention, uh, Janet. She is the damsel in distress, which is especially hard to pull off when you have a damsel in distress with a female antagonist, which was part of the controversy. Yes, but the thing is, though, that I liked about her is is uh, she had this kind of personality that really shone through. And she seemed very genuine, not like she was acting, but she was just kind of being. You know what I'm saying? And there are some funny moments here. She she doesn't seem to be very treated very well by Dr. Garth, and it almost seems like she's he's stringing her along. And and this I would and I wouldn't say this feels like My Fair Lady, but it feels like that in some ways. How can they in the uh, what do you call it production photos? You know where you know where they pose people together they had a thing where her hands are on are on dr jeffrey garth's chest like 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 love interest and it's like i don't buy it because he's just really he's a jerk to her i mean he's you know it's kind of played for laughs but he's kind of a jerk to her i mean i said will you tie this tie or won't you come on come on come on all right now now listen to me janet this has gone far enough can you think of one good reason why you shouldn't be dismissed immediately? He ends up saving her, but I'm like, okay, whatever. But the other thing that they do really uh, advertise is the use of hypnotism ooh, as an element of this movie. However, it's literally just the ring that uh, the ring that Dracula's daughter uses to hi- hypnotize, I guess, her victims into sleep, yes. I guess, so that she can feed on their blood. And then secondly was when later in the movie hypnotism is used on uh, characters to bring back their memories or, well, used once to try and cure her Dracula's daughter's issues because she goes to a therapist and all. She's like, oh, I really need to cure this thing. And uh, it doesn't really work out. At the end, he's like, you want just hypnotism. Here you go. We already have the machine from reviving a Janet earlier. So No, no, no. Uh, uh, Lily. Uh, we're getting Janet and Lily mixed up. Lily, then, was the damsel in distress I was referring to. There's lots of different characters in this film that I'm just like, Skip, don't remember, really, because they don't well, really Universal do Studios much in the film. Is, is like, they're on the precipice of a cliff. They're they're on the brink of financial disaster. But the thing is, it you know, you got Dracula, Frankenstein, the mummy. It still wasn't enough. They were uh, a year before that. They were like, okay, we 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 planned for a long time to make a sequel to Frankenstein. They did it. Like you, we need a counterpart. Yeah, exactly, exactly. They were like, we need something, you know, because our our other triumph was of 1931, uh, the same year that Frankenstein came out, was Dracula. So we have to now that we just did 1935, and you know, four years later we did a sequel to Frankenstein with Bride of Frankenstein. Go listen to our episode on that. It was really good. Um, now we've got a sequel to to Dracula. We've got to do the same. 
we're doing it in contemporary times. You know, they're like, okay, well, who who did magic with Bride of Frankenstein? James Whale. Who do, who do we need to get? Uh, let's just bring in the ringer. Let's bring in James Whale. He could, might could do it. But it it did not work. And also, you know, the Hayes Code was starting to really come in. And to talk about looking over, like, these ideas for, like, the script and that they had, or, like, for the screenplay, same thing. But it's, like, we have this one here where, like, Professor Van Helsing is, like, doing all these things, tracking down people. He meets Dracula's daughter, and they, like, chase around on a boat. He eventually defeats her. But, like, he, being the protagonist of such a movie, could really work because we have a strong actor as a strong protagonist. Someone we'd probably want to care about because running of the, around a boat. I mean, a chase scene involved in, in boat. Oh, okay, okay. I was thinking that it was chasing around on a boat. That would have been silly, like this Looney Tunes just running around a boat. Well, let's put it this way: I don't think Ed- Edward Van Sloan is not going to be able to pull that off. He's kind of getting older. He does a lot more standing and sitting, and not not a lot of running around. Yeah, the problem is, is this is like the last movie we see Edward Van Sloan in because he is a old dude, and he was starting to wane out of horror stuff because he didn't really super like it. And this would uh, like be the middle of like one half of his career. The other half of his career would be dedicated to other stuff, as I talked about earlier, which would probably be the reason he wouldn't really want to stick around in this space too much so i guess that's a big part of why he wasn't so strong in the movie that he was in the one strong actor they had he wasn't that good because of multiple factors that being one of them yeah and and again you know because of the Hayes code a lot of what made it more horrific was cut out yeah the thing is i'm is is it the code to blame for all the boring like scripts and movies is it they could definitely not be as restrictive on the movie, definitely. Look, this movie just has a perfect storm of little issues. Like, they had a, a very recognizable cast. I don't remember who was going to be in it, but they had, it was supposed to have a really recognizable cast. And they got replaced by a lot of, uh, you know, B-movie. Cheap newbies. Yeah, people that are new to this. Also, that they don't have a lot of uh, horror movie experience, which, you know, that's not necessarily a, a deal breaker. So they could have made this good, except for internal and external things going on screenplay like like we like we said is is one of many problems you know uh multiple rewrites were one uh you know when you look at uh, who did the screenplay for dracula's daughter garrett ford but wait a minute garrett ford uh was credited with the screenplay of dracula which he rewrote where he rewrote the stage play of the story that john balderston wrote who rewrote the stage version authored by hamilton dean who rewrote stoker's novel you got that now uh you know the <laughs> Of a copy, of a copy, of a copy, of a copy. So this script was both rewritten a lot of times, rushed, rushed into a partial state, and then just not really great actors. So seriously... Now, they're okay, you know? This movie probably is okay, but it's really well, let's a put it this way. There's me. a lot of movies that, by on paper and by all other accounts, would, would be a failure and then weren't. I mean, you know... Uh, you know, Casablanca, you know, should have been a failure. It had hurdles like constant rewriting and last minute recasting. And now it's like one of the greatest films of all time. And like one of the best scripts of all time, if not the, I hear. It was rewritten to be better. I think the rewriting of this was kind of to be like, we don't have a lot of material to fill out. Oh, the other part of this that was a problem was remember we talked about uh, Nosferatu the, st- the lawsuits by uh, Florence Stoker, uh, Bram Stoker's widow. 
Yeah, right. As we said, the whole script writing thing had to be rushed because of the rights being so meticulous in the first place. Yeah, and also, you know, she objected to, oh, you're using the name Dracula, and you're using the name Dracula's daughter. Well, okay, you're saying you got it from, you know, Dracula's guest. Well, you know, she didn't buy that. So, again, again, this, this, I, I didn't, I didn't hate this movie, but I did see this as uh, a cheaply made sequel. Um, it's, uh, does it also kind of, does it feel like Son of Kong did, except it wasn't, you know, it, it took them six, six years to rush it out? No? Like, Son of Kong actually was something that we could, like, actually analyze, you know, what went wrong and actually sort of enjoy it in a way. This movie, to me, really doesn't seem, it, it's, it's, it's really like, okay, fine, meh, structured, it's got it's got characters. It's got a story. The story sort of works, you know. But it's not like Son of Kong, where we could go like, "Man, was that a movie?" Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about some of the cast of this. Uh, I know he, he plays just a kind of a, a secondary part, but Irving Pischel uh, played Sandor. He was an actor and director, as we remember. And I think we 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 name dropped his name earlier on our episodes uh, when we talked about the house. Uh, Un-American Activities Committee, or HUAC, or whatever it's called, pointing out, backstab them to say they were socialist or communist or whatever, or they were part of the Red Party or whatever. And he was a Christian socialist. You know, he believed that the, the socialist uh, aspects and things like that, he, he saw them under a Christian kind of uh, way of thinking. Let's see, okay, Edward Van Sloan, we saw him, you know, we saw him in Fr- Frankenstein when he... And in Dracula, he was very proactive. E.E. E. Clive played uh, the comedic Sergeant Wilkes. I kinda... He is a police officer in so many movies that the fact that Bride of Frankenstein, the mayor, was replaced by him confused me a lot, thinking that he was a policeman. I was like, no, that, that that's supposed to be the mayor who we saw earlier looks like this. He's supposed to be a jolly, nice, plump little man in the first film, but in the second film, he's more like a policeman because E.E. E. Clive just looks like a policeman to me. You won't... Don't tell me otherwise. Well, and uh, he's played other characters than pl- just policemen, but it does seem like he yeah. does that a lot. Uh, so he, in this movie, he's supposed to be the comedic relief kind of at the beginning and I think another part later, I think. Don't quote me on that. Uh, but I looked at William while we were watching this and, and I was going, okay. Because, you know, and I kind of made some faces. Because that's what the comedic relief does is they have to play a little bit of music underneath and, you know, to kind of make it seem like a light thing and... Oh, I'm scared of vampires. Yeah, we'll get to that. So the original Balderson screenplay was supposed to be tying up some loose ends from the original movie. Uh, In it, Van Helsing returns to Transylvania to destroy the three vampire brides seen in Dracula. But he overlooks a fourth tomb concealing Dracula's daughter. She follows him back to London, operates under the name Countess Zaleski. She attacks a young aristocrat, and Van Helsing and the aristocrat's fiancé track her back to Transylvania and destroy her. So going back to screenplays, yeah, this was another screenplay iteration that the code really didn't seem to like, I guess. She uh, supposedly enjoyed torturing her male victims, not just biting them, but torturing them. Yeah, she enjoyed it, and that's why they didn't like it. Uh, Too much for the audiences at the time. The code was the one that made this one out out in the trash can, basically. I don't know if it destroyed it. I think that, honestly, there was, like I said before, it's a perfect storm of little issues that kind of, uh, you know, that lead to a lot of this. Um, I will will say that they kept sending draft upon draft to the production code uh, administration. They kept rejection. Yeah, there there was a part in the movie where uh, a, a, a character named Lily 
is kind of pulled into posing for an artist who, who uh, she pulls the straps of her dress down a little bit, you know, so you see, see her shoulders. The Hayes Code officials, they said, they said, can there be a scene where there's no suggestion attempted attack by her upon Lily? So basically... That was a very risky move they got away with there. You know, that's probably it. This movie's only claim to fame is that kind of element that kind of crept in where it could be considered... The controversy is what brought this film into more of a limelight than it would have today, which dad said it would be stuck in the footnotes in the margins of uh the annals of history if it weren't for this controversy they're also i've got i've seen some pictures uh of her just yeah i think they were for production stuff to kind of give the passing of the baton from bella lugosi to her because she's just sitting at a table and eating with bella lugosi and i wonder if they talked about typecasting because gloria holden who plays uh countess maria zaleska aka Dracula's daughter. She had seen Bela Lugosi struggle over the years since Dracula. That he, he was trying to get rid of the typecasting of himself as his vampire character. She feared that that this role as this character would do the same to her and didn't. But she had a kind of a disgust for the role a little bit. But critics have said that that is why her performance has that kind of a quality to it because she's disgusted with her vampiric nature. And going to the reception here, New York Times, I see this little description saying a cute little horror picture. I would have to agree. It's very cute horror picture. It's not really. It's not really great. It's not is it, really bad. Is there any suspense? Is there any fright? Nah. No. Not too uh, much. Not, it's a bit of a snooze. Some people have said. Well, they said that her performance was decent, but the rest of the cast was kind of weak. Doesn't hold up so well today by Ryan Cracknell of Apollo Movie Guide. Uh, long bouts over the top dialogue, like reading a textbook. Like reading The Shape of Things to Come by H.G. Wells. No, that's a joke. You didn't <laughs> no. say that, but I had said it earlier. It's like reading War Piece. But yeah, I, I think that honestly, it, it is moody. It, it, it does feel like it is, like she's grieving the loss of her, quote, father. It does have a cool scene at the beginning. I was very, I was kind of going, oh, is this going to be cool? Because there's a scene we'll talk about during the plot part where she steals Dracula's body away and burns it in a ritual where she doesn't look at the body and puts a cross out. So, like, burns Dracula's body, uh, Return of the Jedi style, in a misty forest, which I do agree, misty forest. We haven't seen, we haven't seen misty forest before. We're probably going to see it again in, like, the Wolfman, I think, has misty forest. That that sounds like some sort of tea brand or, like, paint type is like misty forest the end of it they kind of go they kind of wrap it up and go um we got to get to transylvania that's what people have to make a little quick little flight over to trans you know you know how easy it is to fly from you know to england to paris to transylvania you know it's just a hop skip and a jump for these people so they they have to go this is what people think about when think about dracula's transylvania let's get to transylvania now we got to wrap this thing up uh, we got to, you know, show some castle. When uh, people want some castle, give them their castle. Glory Holden does give a, a nuanced kind of low-key performance, but it's I don't think it's enough to save the movie, unfortunately. It has some interesting ideas, but... Yeah, Michael J. Phillips Jr. here does say still a bit of a snooze relying too much on forced comedy and not enough suspense or fright. So yeah, there is a lot of people who have the same opinion as me. Is the forced comedy the relationship between... Dr. Garth and Janet. That can be a bit better than forced, but there are some references to the previous movie in this movie that is very forced, such as she shoes horns in the line that she says that she doesn't drink wine just like Dracula did. Thank you, I never drink wine. And uh, will they go to Transylvania for the end? Again, 
it's okay. It, you know, it's like a, it's, I'm not looking for the next greatest movie. It's okay. But again, there's a lot of movies where I can say, shrug and say, it was okay. However, Son of Dracula, I'm hoping mm. could <laughs> be at least a oh. bit better than this. That is far off in terms of where we are now. I, but... I, I don't know if you're going to be, uh, if you're going to be excited about that. Uh, I think, I think that as, okay, here's the thing. As we'll see with the Frankenstein movies going forward, Bela Lugosi as Igor does save some of the elements of that movie. Plus, you still have Boris Karloff for a good little bit of it. But as it goes, uh, the you know, as you go further away from the original, it starts going, uh, okay, going down. And I think the Dracula ones went down a lot quicker than this. And, you know, and I, I think probably even quicker then the mummy sequels would go too. So a lot of the sequels can go. Well, I mean, if you get to like Dis- Disney sequels, Disney sequels are infamous for being like getting lower quality stuff. Speaking of Disney, actually, we're getting about the year that uh, would be 1937, I believe. Uh, their first movie, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, would come out. Just fair to mention oh, that because we're skipping that, that year. People away. That that movie was just excellently done, and people went to see that multiple times. And that was like the first crop of Disney that was just absolutely amazing movie and such dimension. But anyway, we're talking about bad <laughs> right. Disney movies. Oh, bad Disney movies? Um, well, I can think of tons. I And I would say they're not as good. Let's put this. The, the Disney you know. sequels definitely can lose some value, especially being very well, two, rushed. Two, well, two and a half, whatever you want to call it, where it's just like. Uh, there was a bunch of Lilo and Stitch movies as well. The Herbie sequels. You got Herbie the Love Bug and then the Herbie. Uh, this one, Herbie. This one, Herbie. Eh. There's lots more I can think of that I haven't mentioned here that would be better examples of. Okay, well, let's let's talk about this one, too. Okay, how much of a downturn was you got uh, 1989's Batman by uh, Tim Burton, and then you get the de-evolution to you get Batman and Robin from uh, Joel Schumacher. Sequels have a hard job, man, because you get good originals. They have hard... It's hard to, like, bring something new to the table to where it's still better. There's, like, always some sort of comparison to it to where it's like, is it better? Is it worse? Are we going to screw this whole thing up? You know, what? some people don't even make sequels because it's like, well, we're going to keep this in its preserved state without ruining anything. The, uh, Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight was better than Batman Begins was. And I liked The Dark Knight Rises, although a lot of people went like, oh, there's some issues with it. Maybe so. But I thought if you take those all... As a journey, as as a as a completed trilogy, it works really well. Um, I mean, Empire Strikes Back was a great sequel. There's a lot of movies that had great sequels. I think the I think the second Thin Man movie was great. Yeah, but there's just a, a hard job with prequel uh, with sequels. Well, yeah, and then there's also prequels, which have a hard job of actually keeping up with plot and continuity, which Next is impossible. Prequels are just terrible. Try not to touch prequels because it's like you're bound to like ruin at least something because those are very hard i can't think of any good prequels off the top of my head because prequels like they have the whole job of like keeping to the continuity and like making sure that everything still makes complete 100 percent sense and then also it's sort of like going back in time to like before things happen it could be like oh uh watching this old movie and then now it's the what what was supposed to be first was with new graphics see that's what we're talking about like uh star wars again with the phantom menace attack of the clones and revenge of sith 
those prequels are very infamous. I yeah, I did like uh, I did like Rogue One. I thought Rogue One was a better prequel, and I think it did a better job, you know, than most. But it still wasn't. It still didn't have all the all the characters that we really you know wanted to see. But again, we're getting off. Yeah, subject, this but... has been William and Jason talk <laughs> talking about, about prequels. prequels. And we're going to be talking about prequels and sequels for a while because we got. Uh, I mean, we're going to have the mummies. Uh, hand the the mummy's tomb, the mummy's ghost, the mummy's head, the mummy's foot, the the, the, the mummy's, the mummy's toe. you know, spine, whatever. It's just you know the mummy's big toe. The mummy's going to be the son of Frankenstein, the ghost of Frankenstein, the uncle of Frankenstein, the these former roommates, brothers, cousins of twice removed. The the creature of the black lagoon, the creature's revenge, the creature walks, the black lagoon's creature. The creature uh sleeps on our couch and eats our Doritos <laughs> in the middle of the, the night. Creature is a preacher. Yeah, the creature is a preacher. No, uh, so so here's the thing. This is uh, we've just been talking about the production and kind of what we thought about this movie a little bit, but we're gonna go into the plot of uh, Dracula's daughter, uh, such as it is, and kind of just uh, uh, really tell let you know what we thought as we go. Yeah, yeah, and we we will honestly we'll make we'll make a lot of good good stuff out of what you might call what William might call a mad movie. I think we're gonna have a lot of fun with just kind of scratching our heads at some of the decisions in this. Yeah, at most, this movie is indeed okay. It can't really get above to, like, a great level. It's probably not, like, a great level, really. You see, the thing is, if the movie is really bad, it has to be really so bad it's good. This movie is not so bad it's good. It's so mad it's bad. This movie, if you were to put it in a tier list, there's some rules where it's, like, you can position things from, like, left to right in the middle of a tier list people usually do in tier list videos where it's like oh this is higher in the sea level so we'll put it more to the left it's at that point where it's like you're just adjusting it left to right and it's in the seat tier already so yeah i think it is i think it's the it's- but we're getting we're, we're getting pretty <laughs> far we've been rambling on a while let's well, let's ra- let's uh let's take a break and ramble a- ramble about the plot let's suck the blood of our oh, audience God. i mean not our audience definitely not our audience we wouldn't hurt suck you the blood out of this movie and then show it to you yeah let, let's hypnotize you with our amazing uh plotting abilities <laughs> look at the ring stare at the ring dear listeners see you then Yay, now I can talk louder without blowing your eardrums out. Yes, you can. I'm in a new environment now, guys. It's going to be awesome. Uh, Everything's going to sound better. I can yell louder uh, without, you know, just everything echoing and it's being an unpleasant experience. Uh, Everything was under construction before, but now it's not. So, uh, guess what's not under construction, even though it awfully seems like it still is? in the middle of construction and they just left it (laughs) that's a bit of a joke is dracula's daughter i guess we'll just jump right into what on earth happens in the movie yes uh let's talk about the plot let's talk about the wins the wherefores and the whys uh but not the werewolves because we talked about that earlier 
and we'll get another werewolf movie later, so... We will get some werewolves later, absolutely. So before we get into this thing, we notice immediately from the credits they incorrectly call Van Helsing, Von Helsing. And so does a bunch of other characters in this movie, so let's just quickly play all of those in a row. Here's when everyone says Van Helsing. Professor Van Helsing. Professor Van Helsing. Professor Van Helsing. Oh, that Van Helsing thing. Bring Van Helsing with you immediately. And here's when everyone says Von Helsing. A man named Von Helsing. Von Helsing, Professor Von Helsing? Seems that this fellow Von Helsing... Well, strangely enough, Von Helsing... No, but I believe in Von Helsing. I'm glad you're not your friend, Professor Von Helsing. Professor Von Helsing. So there's a surprising amount wrong. That's right. All right, so here's the crazy part. The movie begins with Van Helsing being arrested, because why not, by two bumbling police officers, and he's poorly arguing his case to Sir Basil Humphrey of Scotland Yard. So we just get start out with he's just wandering about on his own, and he just gets arrested. Now, first of all, there are far more continuity issues than in Bride of Frankenstein in this movie, since uh, all but one of the actors don't reprise, there's definitely a couple loopholes, definitely. I'll name them just like the Jackson 5 song. A, B, C. Yes, I mean, that song. One, two, three. Yeah. I think the Love song it. was actually called ABC. That's right. So, A, the police could have seen Mina and John Harker exiting the castle as they were entering it. They could have, you know, stopped them by and going like, hey, what on earth's happening back there? Uh, or anything. Or just seen them leaving and been like, hey, they exist. But the movie doesn't know they exist. B... The character who we do get glimpses of are either face down dead, you know, a Dwight Fry stunt double he sees up the stage while going up the stairs, and the wax dummy of Bell Lugosi you mentioned earlier, which is a bit of a sorry excuse of one, if, if I must say. Well, those are all the reprising uh, glimpses of the other characters, and C, the, the one character who does do anything, which is uh, Van Helsing, he doesn't even call up anybody. You know, Mina John of the gang is witnesses when he goes up to Scotland Yard. Like, that that would have been a, such a great idea. That is true. He could have called David Manners. Uh, David yeah. Manners plays uh, John Harker. So, yes, I mean, on, the, I on the flip side, better they all be called crazy than this old man is unsupported going up against Scotland Yard and having to argue against a dude who is totally unsuperstitious and he doesn't have any superstition. Absolutely. But Bella Lugosi got paid. He got paid still for them to use his likeness. <laughs> for the sorry excuse of the uh, uh, of the dummy. So, yeah, it's just they, they made his face and then he still got the money. Uh, my what deep fake and AI culture is going to be like in the future when people somehow can still get paid for not even appearing in a movie. It's just an AI-created version of them. Or maybe they not, might not even get paid because they're already dead. In the case of Harrison Ford, though, he is actually playing his younger self, deep fake, just like um, um, Samuel L. Jackson did when he did Nick Fury. In? Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Ah. It comes out this summer. I don't know, to not much fanfare, probably. People were like, I don't know. Anyway, go ahead. But yeah, just, there is a lot of loopholes that you can still bring up, but this movie is like, oh, I don't know, what loophole? What do you mean? I'm just gonna continue on like I am, you know? So, anyway, next scene, uh, by the way, Van Helsing doesn't really get his point across. That's the result of that scene. So, next scene, uh, the police officers who we saw earlier are back in the castle to look at the coffin of Dracula, uh, who they saw earlier, but are dissuaded by a burrowing mammal of some sort, 
and one police officer leaves, leaving the other one alone to be hypnotized by a newly appeared cloaked woman when he doesn't allow her in to see the the coffin. I thought they weren't in the castle. I thought that I thought they had taken the coffins back to the police station. Yeah, I think so. I think that's actually what happened, but. They they bumbled around the castle, first of all, and then arrested a dude, and then they took the coffin to their agency, and then got one of them got accosted by this lady and hypnotized. I thought the, the, the burrowing creature was Bugs Bunny. He was trying to get some uh, directions on how to get to Albuquerque. He always, he always, you always see him burrowing under the ground in the old Warner Brothers cartoons, and you see this furrow appear, and he just pops up and goes, yeah, what? Where's the way? The nearest way to Albuquerque? And then, the, the, yeah. yeah, and he walks up those stairs, and he turns into the infamous big chungus. <laughs> I don't know the context for that scene, but it has become such a meme. Anyway, I have to look that up later. I, I'm so out of out of sorts with all your memes. Uh, out of the memes of the world, there are many. So, uh, two other police officers arrive hours later to find the lone police officer in a petrified state. And, again, the sorry excuse of a Bella Lugosi stand-in is missing. Be- Bella, let's, let's not see. The Bella, let's not see him right now. He's, he, he just, no. His skin looks, his skin looks like a lemon, okay? It looks, it's the yeah. color of a lemon. Looks, it looks like a kid's, uh, paper mache, uh, you know, thing that, that you went, oh, it looks really great, and you put my, glued macaroni to it. That's great, little, little, little Daniel. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> yep, especially. It looks so much like your favorite Bella Lugosi that we all know about. Totally. Uh, it, it, it's a collage, you know. Wish.com Bella Lugosi. Okay, Wish. enough said about that. Bella Lugosi. <laughs> right. So, uh, next scene in what I noted here is Misty Forest Zone Act 2. Uh, although <laughs> earlier I said it was sort of more like the paint, or more than I think about it like a perfume, sort of like Misty Forest, that fragrance. Oh, that would right, be right. such a good commercial, but yeah. By I'll, Calvin Klein. I should be playing here the most relevant Misty Forest Zone theme. Let me let me see, actually. I think Mystic Cave Zone is close enough, I guess. So Mystic nice. Cave Zone for your lovely Misty Forest. Anyway, so uh, here we see the cloaked woman revealed, Countless Maria Zaleska, Dracula's daughter, which is weird considering the lore is that they can't ha- traditionally have children they can only convert people but and eh, we have a daughter of dracula mm-hmm. what plot holes we had three brides you're right three brides of dracula there but... are three brides of dracula but yeah who knows it, it, uh, who knows how this family stuff works it's possible though i i wonder if there was a we talked about this before that there was a uh, a prequel part of the movie that was supposed to get filmed but they couldn't get you know bill lugosi or, or, or maybe they said oh, it's too gonna be too much money to pay him again and uh just for one little you know quick little scene it's supposed to take place in the like fourth century transylvania or wallachia or romania and i think that his daughter was supposed to be there it was like his actual daughter but she looks like not that much younger than him so at the at the era where they if they were at least two feet closer to the east they would be able to see genghis khan exactly 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 so um anyway maria zaleska dracula's daughter also a countess uh is making sure her father is dead by casting his spirit out and burning the corpse in hopes of breaking her family's curse of vampirism that's a heavy sentence that basically she took the corpse in order to burn it return of the jedi style 
and to make sure that it is 100% dead, even though the stake should kill it. But and who am I to mess with this perfect script we have here? Well, let's 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 put it this way. All right, when we watched this, I was listening to what the things she was saying, and she was saying talking about you know the 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 dark depths and the uh, uh, you know the evil underlord. She was always saying all this kind of cool stuff. Unto Adonai and Azrael, into the keeping of the lords of the flame and lower pits, I consign this body. To be forevermore consumed in this purging fire. Let all baleful spirits that threaten the souls of men be banished by the sprinkling of the salt. Be thou exorcised, O Dracula, and thy body long undead. Find destruction throughout eternity in the name of thy dark, unholy master. Be the evil spirit cast out until the end of time. I was like, dude, that's kind of cool. And then the movie never lived up to... The, you know, kind of how awesome the the incantation or whatever she was doing was. Yeah, it's uh, oh oh, and she uses a cross to do this. She looks away from it though. But vampires wouldn't even touch, let alone use a cross. It's like you. I mean, I get that you can't look at it. They indeed do that. But in order in order to do this and consider Maria Zaleska as a vampire, then that wouldn't really work at all with the lore. Because they abhor it, you know, that's what vampires do. They abhor the cross, so they wouldn't even touch it. They wouldn't okay. want to touch it. So This is something we'll probably talk about later with a lot of vampire movies, but here's the thing. Is it just when two pieces of metal or two pieces of wood uh, cross over each other with one of the, the bars that go through, it has to be a certain... It's a representation of power. I get that, but here's the thing. Is it possible that if they walk through an old building and it has these cross beams that they'll just start going, ah, 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 and then you go, okay, turn around, don't well, look I mean, them. it depends if it represents something with the power that makes so it a talisman. Okay, now, in, in certain games that I played, it was the true faith of the user that did it, so... There's even seen there's even situations where a Buddhist like holding the 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 Buddhist you know rosary beads or whatever you know he was chanting and his faith in what you know it was really the power that that hurt the the vampire uh, who's I mean that that at least makes sense but they're trying to make it like you know the power of Christ and I get that but the power of Christ goes beyond the cross right so just a, a you know I mean there's a scene in in horror of Dracula where uh, Van Helsing holds two candlesticks together, um, what, like a, like a T. They're they're afraid of the letter T, the lowercase letter T. Yeah, it's, that's it. We we've solved it, William. We solved it. It's the lowercase letter T. It always has. Yeah, but don't forget, is it sans serif or serif? That that's the thing. Should, sans, does it only eh. get power depending on if it's serif or sans serif? It has to be one of those two. It has to be, has to be a straight, you know, sand. Yeah. It depends. Would if if a vampire was reading a newspaper or a comic book, and uh, we happen to get some comic sans, would Times that kill New it? Roman Catholic. Times New Roman lowercase d. It has to be that. So this was a fun conversation. Anyway, let's get on with the. We solved it. Keep going. Let's get on with the scenes. Anyway, <laughs> meanwhile, back at the oh, ranch. Wow. Uh, or rather the bookstore, uh, Maria wears a happy little dress. Uh, we'll put it right there. I made a reference to Bob Ross. Happy little clouds. We'll paint a little happy tree and put it right there. That's the reference. Yes, uh, there you go. And we're going to beat the devil out of all of our vampires. So um, anyway, <laughs> so she attempts a jolly tune 
uh, while reminiscing on when her mother sang this tune that she's playing, uh, under the twilight, uh, when that happened, uh, while Sandor, her assistant, uh, is replying about stuff like how the twilight she speaks of isn't good and her eyes are full of death, you know, the song you're playing isn't happy, is it, you know, gas, light, central, he obviously doesn't want her cured, and is maybe even inventing it himself. That's that's my theory. And see, even even hardcore vampires were against Twilight before it was uh, fashionable to be so. Uh, and we are all against that movie because <laughs> it's a terrible boo, movie. Twilight, boo. I might yeah. watch it right. someday, but my mom said that I wouldn't even like it. I mean, my sisters watched it for. I don't. I don't even know why my sisters watched it. It's ridiculous. The writing is is lun- lunatic. Yeah, so is this movie, I guess. But Twilight yeah. has a whole... They're like... I don't know. How many Twilight movies are there? I'd guess like three at the Four, max. Four, five... Mm, there's, a, there's, a, there's one... Let's see. Is there a TV one, show? One, two... Is it one, two, three, or four? Is it four, four or five? Uh, it's a pentology, and is there a TV show? I don't, I don't know. No, just movies. There is a lot of twilight stuff that is just uh, all the bad writing anyway um so uh after this she immediately ends up uh immediately suiting up and killing a victim back to hunting folks without putting up any fight toward what sandor was saying she's just like oh you're right my eyes are full of death and my songs aren't happy puts on a coat and goes right out and kills some folks it's okay you know um so next old habits die hard old habits die hard uh, next is Dr. Jeffrey Garth and Janet, his girl, picking up from work or something after a quick pit stop to evaluate Van Helsing. He goes straight to a party, uh, and this is where he's found by Maria Zaleska, inquiring about how to cure herself on her unspecified urges after his mention of his currently curing Van Helsing. So basically... He, she hears him going like, oh, uh, I was just back from curing Van Helsing of a sort. And he goes uh, and talking about his psychology stuff at this party. And she's like, curing, you say? Well, uh, I, ha- I have a request for that then. If you can do that for myself and my condition, then please do that, basically. She has a, she has a, she should have said, I have an eating disorder. What kind? Well, there's... I, I, must I like eat. to eat red things. You know, the blood orange is my favorite. Uh, uh, Doritos. Uh, they're kind of orange, but it's close enough. What was the blood orange's, like, uh, cherry, other name? Ch- like, the Latin name? Cherry Starburst, huh? Say what? I, I was wondering what the blood orange's, uh, like, Latin name is, or, like, what the other name for it is, but I can't remember at this point. Keep going. Keep going. Cherry limeade. She loves cherry limeade (laughs) a lot. So, uh, in between this is a cute scene with Janet managing Jeff's tie after his begrudging at this. She's sort of like, uh, he's struggling to get his tie open, and she's like, I'll adjust your tie for you. And she does it. But the funny thing is, at the end of the scene, there's a gag where she jokingly ties it lopsided anyway. So he notices looking back in the mirror, and he goes, like, Oh, ah. And then the comedic music plays. It's like, ba ba da bum You know, life exists. So, <laughs> uh, at the end of the scene, I already read that. So, uh, also, again, through this, she calls him later, pretending to be a Russian zoo manager who says they have elephants seeing pink men. Yeah, one of our elephants is seeing pink men. Uh, which, this has the punchline of later, he gets called by Dr. Beamish, 
from St. Mary's Hospital, right. and he mistakes uh, Doctor Beamish for uh, his 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 girls, his Janet. So he's just like, "Go back to the zoo where you're from," he says, and he's like, "Don't insult me. I'm I'm really Doctor Beamish of St. Mary's Hospital." <laughs> so. That was a funny scene. Well, uh, either either Dr. Garth has really bad hearing or Janet does an excellent imitation of an old dude. I I don't I th- I think it's just a it's just hey, this is a joke by the way. Yeah, th- this comprises all of the funny Janet and Dr. Garth scenes. Well, I, I I will tell you this. I liked Janet because she had the, she felt like felt like a real character. She was kind you of said like she a she felt like a my know, fair lady sort of character. Yeah, it well, was my the, fair uh, lady. Uh, except there's no other dude. No, that's true. Okay, because see, uh, my fair lady, I think, had two dudes and a girl, and there was a love triangle. Yes, and one of them was the, her doctor who was uh, teaching her how to how to speak and and all this kind of stuff. The thing I would say this is, it reminded me a little bit of um, a boss and his secretary. That was called like the His Girl Friday kind of thing syndrome or whatever, where she, she he can't he. He can't do anything on his own. He's mixed up. He can't find stuff. And she kind of helps him out with that. He playfully kind of uh, teases her and messes with her. But I was just like, he's kind of jerky to her. I would be like, I I want to quit. Maybe she might. Yeah, I think we'll she see. does later or someone else does. I don't remember who was the secretary who was fired later. Citrus X Sinensis is the blood orange. Oh, thank you for that. Uh, so when Maria Zaleska and Dr. Garth meet about her cure, uh, Garth compares her situation to alcohol addicts and poses she sit for a long time right by her temptation instead of abstaining to meet it where it's at. You know, meet it, fight it, he says, uh, which then prompts her to hire a woman named Lily as a painting model in the next scene. I mean, at least she didn't label Garth as a sham and is taking advantage of her skills of an aristocratic background uh, to paint. But, well, this doesn't really work at all as a ploy because, uh, well, I'm sort of glazing, glazing past the scene, but it's really short overall. He's just like, oh, invite Lily in. Give her a finger sandwich. You know, uh, pose for me, please. Not, not, not made out of real fingers. It's not made out of real fingers, although I wouldn't put it past... It's made out of white bread and... Riot. Yeah, I know, but you see, yeah, but you said finger sandwiches. I was like, she's Dracula's daughter. They might be real fingers. Just check, make sure. Check and make sure that there's no meat in it or that it's gluten. No fingernails. You could say it's gluten free. Ask if it's gluten free sandwiches. (laughs) Thank you. I was about to say that gluten free (laughs) sandwiches. Fingers aren't gluten free. Uh, Don't try that out, or else that's called cannibalism, which is illegal in some countries. Frowned upon, yeah, in modern society. Frowned upon in society, to quote uh, Willy Walker. Yeah, this has been great. But it is high in in protein, though. Fingers are high high in protein. And they're high in keratin. Um, So... Again, we get to the scene, Lily's uh, about Ugh. to be painted. And the moment Lily's shoulders and arms, sh- uh, shoulders and arms show skin, she pulls out the hypnotism ring. So she's just like immediately straight on that neck. And somewhere, somewhere, someone from the Hayes, uh, Hayes Code production, you know, group just kind of, kind of, it's almost like, uh, you know, the bat signal, it's the bat signal. They go, dun, dun, dun. They, they looks off 
into the distance and goes somewhere. Someone's filming bare shoulders. Yeah, they were actually going to show the moment of incision of fangs, but uh, after multiple cents to the Hayes Production Code administration building, they were just like, "Nope, don't, don't, just don't, jo- don't show it at all," and that'll be us fine with it. So, uh, next scene is Lily taken to a hospital, and they confirm with Van Helsing uh, that he thinks it's a vampire at cause. She's she's uh, catatonic. She's like staring into into like the middle distance. She's just staring off into nowhere. And she also spoke of woman. So from the notes, which are very short and unhelpful. I mean, it's doctor's notes. You're not going to be able to read much, even if you wrote more. Right, chicken scratch, doctor chicken scratch. Yeah, honestly, the guys, if you are a doctor and there is a way to make uh, a doctor's notes that are uh, more readable, but still. But but still squeezed together in a good way, then that's honestly needs to be the uh, innovation of society uh, rather than all the other things, har har. But anyway, before they leave, he warns them to watch out for coffins and to use mirrors to detect the vampires. Uh, as you know, he's like, watch out for coffins. They're going to go into coffins, so make sure they don't have any nearby and uh, use mirrors to detect them. Just like, uh, reminds me of Percy Jackson, the, the Percy Jackson movie where he uses a mirror to deal with uh, Medusa, who is a, don't remember what I'm they're called. Gorgon. A Gorgon, yes. They're a Gorgon. So, um, next is another Dar- uh, another Garth and Janet scene, where Garth has fired Janet, and she comes back in a beautiful dress later, uh, so that she can appeal to her position of being fired. Also, again, this beautiful dress, uh, noted at the beginning, it says, Gowns by Brimer. There are lots of gowns in this movie, dresses, this one is particularly beautiful, but there's some for Countess Maria Zaleska near the beginning and at the party. Uh, just going to take that into note that those are really nice and fancy, uh, fancily designed. Thank you, Brimer. Thank you, Brimer. Whoever you are. Uh, it's a company. Oh, well, yeah, that's okay. I think so. <laughs> uh, and so he gets the maid to tie his tie to prove the point of not needing her at all because she's like, you totally need me. Who else is going to tie your tie? And he's like, the maid is, see? Uh, maid, go tie my tie. Uh, unfortunately, the maid can't tie it without Janet stepping in, so this is another funny thing where it's like, that tie just won't tie itself at all. Probably be best to make it out of CGI, uh, just like they did in 1973 with Star Wars. I think that's too early. It might be 76. 77. 77. uh, Almost close. We we need a TIE fighter. We need a TIE fighter to fight the TIEs. So this has been really chaotic, but it's just this plot has been very succinctly, succinctly summed up so far. So Countess Valeska arrives to earnestly express her giving in to this temptation. Uh, to which Garth pulls out the hypnotism machine as a solution, but she refuses because it uses mirrors and its functions. Something uh, unrevealed to Garth uh, is the reason is because, you know, vampires don't like mirrors because it reveals them to be a vampire. Uh, this being unrevealed, this makes Garth suspicious of her, uh, wants to almost throw her out of the spaceship. Um, that, that was an Among Us joke. For those who don't know. She's suspicious. Right. She is so sus that he is questioning it to himself. Uh, He's like, you know, there's a one point where she says, I've revealed all I can. And he's like, you've revealed all that you want me to know. 
What was what, what was that? What was that one time that he said, "I don't know too many women that don't have at least twelve to fifteen mirrors in their house." Like, okay, nice dig at at women being you know vain. self vain. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thanks. Buddy. Yeah, but this is also aided when before he that cool line is said, she asks him to go to uh, to go with her to Transylvania for reasons. You, you know, re- reasons, just reasons, you know? And he's like, reasons, eh? Well, no, I don't like that. Uh, unfor- but Garth is called into the hospital thing to use the hypnotism machine to revive Lily, uh, so he can't continue this conversation. Meanwhile, Lily is revived into a state of talking as if she was still there. So basically, she's like, uh, please don't look at me with those eyes, ma'am. I don't want to be in this bookstore anymore. And they're just like, wait, you're not a bookstore. It's like, oh, right. She's thinking in the present, quote, present, uh, which is truly the past, I guess. So, But she ultimately dies from being snapped back to the present uh, by their talking. And the, the, somehow she dies. And this leads to Garth knowing exactly who the culprit is because of all the things that have led up and the suspicious activity and also the ma'am. Uh, who has a ring and uh, eyes that, however she okay, described so, them. Okay, so all the women in the whole city that have rings and eyes. No, uh, the, the, well, I, I didn't remember all the... <laughs> so he, he put it to pieces together in his mind, and it's... No, you're fine, I'm trying it's to fine. describe what those it's pieces fine. were, it's I guess. Fine. So, it's fine. Okay, this is, this is chaotic. So... Uh, anyway, she ultimately dies after tracking her down in a bookstore, her being Countess Valeska, that is. Um, she spills some beans. The rest of the beans are inferred by Van Helsing later. Uh, he then discovers her and a captured Janet of uh, beamed over to Dracula's castle uh, through, you know, um, they don't really show this happening at all because they don't have the budget for mist effects like they would use in Son of Dracula, as you see from that trailer. There's a cool thing where he beams in with some mist powers that wouldn't be in this movie. They just turn the camera slightly and then turn it back, and they're right there. <laughs> so that's funny. Right. Um, so since they're at Dracula's castle, and uh, Van Helsing is inferred this, uh, so they decide to hop in an airplane... Uh, he hops in an airplane uh, to what the text that just appeared on screen and maybe the leader hosen that people are wearing tells me is Transylvania. Uh, and then they finally get into the castle uh, in their final confrontation. Maria promises to save Janet's life uh, if Jeffrey agrees to become a vampire and join her for eternity. He agrees to this just as Sandor, aiming for Garth, accidentally kills Maria Zaleska. The whole movie was resolved by an accident, and I just reacted here like our ultimate shot. I was like, was that the whole resolvation of this whole scheme was based on an accident? An accident. Like, we have both this, you know, pretty average movie and stuff going about. And then there's just this enormous rush for Transylvania and Dracula's castle as the pieces are put together. And then, like, this final conversation. This whole... Look, if you resolve a movie that you're bu- you're building up to something, you're building up a conflict, okay? You're building up a villain, uh, someone who's formidable and powerful, and it's resolved by an accident? That... that, that what, what threat even is a villain? What purpose... 
does a movie have without its conflicts? And that's the trouble with this movie. There isn't any. Well, the cops show up, thankfully, with with, uh, with Yeah, Van, Van Helsing and co. arrive onto the scene. Uh, really just for Van Helsing to say she was just as beautiful when she died 100 years ago um, at the end of the movie after the uh, He does the say roll. that the arrow has yarrow, which is like the wood, the same kind of wood that he uh, had in the stake. So basically he explains how an uh, arrow is somehow a stake because she was shot by uh, Sandor's arrow. But because uh, because he said she was just as beautiful when she died 100 years ago, we know she's a vampire from this ending, and so all theories of her being a human are disconfirmed. So people were like, oh, she can hold the cross because she's a human. Uh, everything, uh, she's invented her, uh, invented her sorrows and her addictions and whatever. She doesn't have to do them because she's a human is false because Van Helsing confirms it, or Von Helsing, as some people say in the movie. Thank you. Yeah, so, yeah, I was able to succinctly very much be able to describe how this movie was, which, again, it, I said it was a meh. You said it was okay. It, really, the scale in my uh, a general scale of things, which yeah. reminds me of a YouTube video I saw. A YouTube video I saw recently of, like, uh, someone who made a ruler of average things, like, about the size of a beer bottle or about the size of a banana or something. It was very, very very situational case, but here's my general scale of things. We have, uh, you know, really incredible being at the top. It's really incredible. You have fantastic. You have amazing, you know, really great, great, really good, okay, mad, not so good, bad, terrible, and I, I put at the end dog water, which people say is gross because whoever drank it is definitely not going to have a uh, a good stomach at all they're going to have stomach virus okay so so okay and matt are right d- beside d- each other d- yeah but didn't we have the a middle of the scale what's our what is our how does our fantastico meter i did not ma- i didn't map this have to the fantastico not? meter the fantastico yeah. meter w- was something i just readily came up with I, one time. yeah i th- i think that it's just honestly it's just whatever we want it to be it's you know it it I don't. It just it it came off because we don't really write things. We say we say what we thought of it. Which in my case, it's a pretty mad movie. It's it's not really great, and there's lots of plot holes. You said it was pretty okay for some elements. Uh, we we rate things on a you know uh, a what we like about it thing. We don't rate it by numbers like most people do and can do. Now we don't say that that's bad and all. You can definitely rate things by numbers. It is just pretty difficult to do so generally and as we said like tier lists can have a hard trouble sometimes uh so they have to go to the point of switching uh in the middle of a tier as i described earlier being sort of what this movie can do it's sort of adjusting back and forth in this c tier which is higher and lower than uh, another movie i in think the C-tier. uh it's it's uh it's diminishing it's a, it's a diminishing returns i mean it's the more the more Dracula sequels we get, the less great. They I feel are. like this is under like the Black Cat sort of to me. This is uh sort of around that level sort of getting. Though the Black Cat is better. I thought regards. the Black Cat was better because you had these two 
uh, really good character actors, and you also had some really interesting uh, scenes with some interesting dialogue and interest. I said it again. It's captivating, and the music. Yeah, I just. I don't know. Um, yeah, the, the the witty banter of Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff is yes is really unmatched. When you get them together, it's 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 like sparks that can fire together when used right. When yeah, thank you, thank you. The the chemicals have to be in the right mixture with the right catalyst, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, with this, it just it didn't have anybody that really jumped out as really great uh, acting. I did like. Janet, uh, and, the, and how naturalistic she seemed, but I haven't seen her in the actress who plays that her in anything else. And honestly, the only actor that I really recognized at all, uh, was Edward Van Sloan. And I may have recognized, uh, uh, Irving Pischel's name from when we were talking about, um, uh, the, the house on American activity committee, you know, so it was just historical stuff. So I don't really, it doesn't really have any top actors to really pull me in. I mean, you know, I don't recognize anybody. I'm just like, uh, you really gotta, you really gotta sell me on this whole aspect of this. I think it, its claim to fame was bringing controversy. Yeah, controversy. That's and the thing is, you know, that's okay. Maybe it, it's 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 landmark for that, but uh, other than that, it's not a notable movie per se. I mean, I, I will probably say the same thing about Son of Dracula, but uh, I think they're trying to to, to catch. You know, lightning in a bottle, and it, it did not strike twice. There you go. That's a good way way of. Yeah. Wh- however, what seems to be sort of a magic in well, maybe in a bottle, if you considered some things, is uh, our next movie, uh, which is going to be the adventure, uh, the or adventures, I think, adventure adventures of Robin Hood, nineteen thirty eight, I believe. Yes. Which is the for most people who review it. This is the Robin Hood film. It's probably at least top two Robin Hood movies, I believe. Very influential. Very influential. Not only in the way that Robin Hood would later look, uh, and you know when you see him in your mind, you, you're like, oh, that's that's the way he would look. Um, I think it's influential in terms of uh, a lot of things. But you know, even if you watch the Walt Disney uh, Robin Hood one, it's yeah, I'll definitely be comparing that one because again, I haven't seen this Robin Hood, but that Robin Hood is at least on par, if not any, if not higher, depending. And it's got some of the best sword fighting. Yeah, we said uh, the Adventures of Robin Hood has some really great sword fighting, but the Robin Hood Disney version. I'm definitely going to be comparing it uh, to this and talking about it in general, even though we won't ever be covering it. It is just, it's sort of like underrated a bit because it's in sort of that era of when it came out in the sort of era where Disney was at a low Sort of, so it was sort of making, you know, lower budget. Yeah, it was in the 50s, I think. Uh, 70s. Oh, sorry. Lower budget, lower budgety looking pictures that would really hit them. But it, yeah, it's a hidden gem in in concerns of that era. Because it's just, I'll describe and talk about it in the next episode. Uh, because I really like that one. We watched that all the time as a child uh, as a child, uh, childhood movie, I definitely agree. It's it's just awesome. We'll talk about it. And and there's been a lot of remakes of of Robin Hood over the years, from, from uh, comedic takes on it to uh, more serious takes on it. With like, uh, which one was like the 2000s one that 
uh, Prince of Thieves. No, that that was in the, that came out in the nineties. Uh, it was the one. Remember the Kevin Costner played. Uh, yeah, King Richard was played by uh, Sean Connery. You know, he he had a little cameo in there. As that, but that's probably a bit of a darker take on that, or more serious take as compared to comedic. Uh, our next one is going to be a, a lighthearted, jolly version of it. There's also, uh, I I think there was a Veggie Tales adaption of it as well. I don't remember what yes. that called, but I remember there was the it, the the main villain was uh, the use of Bethling ham because everyone ate ham and didn't share their ham. Uh, as compared to money, wow, uh, which is how they sort of taught that it, 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 Veggie Tales adapts things in weird ways. Just gonna say, uh, this is the prototype, prototypical, uh, prototypical Robin Hood movie, and it's a, a really, really great one. Top two, as I said, widely regarded. But, uh, but again, you know that that's great. Uh, I really enjoy talking about this movie with you. You know, it's great watching the greats with you, but it's also great watching the the. Eh, because it's, it's it's commiseration. Yeah, especially hearing about that production, which was like, you had it like, it was uh, half finished when it arrived into the scene due to like limited time, budget, rights, all these things that they had to like scramble to make this movie in all, uh, in all de- uh, departments, all departments uh, of uh, of making it. And then like this movie sort of being this, it's all right, movie, and uh, the there really is not too much plot to speak of, which is why it's this short. Uh, this has been um, the daughter of uh, Dracula's daughter. Uh, so far, it was a movie. Definitely, it existed. It maybe it entertains. <laughs> I would recommend you watch some of it though, because you know the crazy thing you don't expect is him just getting arrested straight up, and it's just I, that sort of hits you slightly funny. When you just begin a movie, and it's like, and then he was arrested. <laughs> yeah, because they, because that never happens. It's like there's this whole like bombastic Dracula epic chase through the things that happened in the first movie, and then th- all the the final conflict happens, and then everything is resolved, and then he got well, arrested. There, well, before before we end the episode, I will tell you that reminds me of a movie uh, called Van Helsing, where he's he's a younger guy and he's a vampire hunter. There's a secret about him that uh, he might be reincarnated as the angel Gabriel. I don't know. But basically, enough said about that. But he basically, he's in France, and he knocks uh, Mr. Hyde off the top of the Notre Dame. And he he falls down and hits the ground, uh, turns back into Dr. Jekyll. And the people kind of run over and go... He just pushed that man on uh, off the top of the Notre Dame into the ground, murderer! And the cops come after him. Okay, from the title Van Helsing, you make me think of sort of like a Sherlock sort of style movie. I imagined like some sort of Sherlock in my brain. But then you talked about all these like he meets Jekyll and Hyde and then knocks him off a tower and like he, he's that's the, the opening incarnation sequence. of the Archangel Gabriel. That, That's the opening sequence? The opening sequence is him fighting... This is like Monty Python garbage. No, 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 no. Python stuff. Van, Van Helsing, this, that movie, is basically like... Uh, what is it called? Uh, it's, it's the Universal Monster Movies stuff, all mishmashed 
into one movie. It is it, it it's it's got to be seen. We may not do it for the podcast, but you should see it. Yeah, but that that sounds like a Monty Python like sort of movie. We're just like all these that sounds chaotically comedic. So it is chaotic. We've been and we've been talking about a lot of other stuff. Uh, but we'll leave you uh, off with uh, all of our speakings. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, make sure to uh, definitely click the uh, notifications, subscriptions, and follows uh, because you you don't want to miss our Robin Hood episode. That one's uh, going to be really fun. And uh, definitely everyone can really watch that. Is it on HBO Max, I think? Um, uh, you know, you have to think you have, think they might have to go to, uh, Amazon prime or some other to look for that. It's, it came out in 1938. Here's the thing though. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're on a podcast, uh, app, you know, make sure to, to, uh, follow us and, uh, and download the episode, listen to it. Yeah, definitely. Except for TikTok. You know, which, well, what would we even be able to do on TikTok? No. Like, I mean, it's like, we can put announcements on there if you guys seriously want it. We'll leave it up to a like goal or something. We're going to dip our toe into Instagram very soon. We were going to put some, but those are basically going to be like little snippets of our podcast that will lead back to the pod, the actual podcast. Just if you want a, if you want a third of our podcast, maybe check out Instagram. I guess if do that eventually, but it's just going to be for advertising purposes. They really don't let you put much on there anyway. So, but let me retrograde my teeth away from your shoulder because ah! you're holding up a, a cross or something, or maybe this movie is going in reverse and you've accidentally touched the wrong button of the remote or something. But uh, retrograding my teeth away from your shoulder and exiting back to the coffin where we came from, uh, back for another day or rather night of podcasting. <laughs> I don't get it, but all right, good night. Uh, good night. Don't forget to open your third eye and telepathically message us at cinefanpod at gmail.com. Set your chronoscope dial to the future setting and peruse cinematicfanpodcast.wordpress.com. Hunker over your ham radio as your keen ears listen for the ghostly voices tweeting on our Twitter at cinematicfanta1. Exchange all of your money into Republic credits and donate at our Patreon page at patreon.com slash cinefanpodcast ending transmission now